But here it is, first week in March, less than three months removed from Christmas. No, most of us don't even remember what we got for Christmas, but I bet you remember what you gave because we all came together and raised over $500,000 for mission projects around the world. 50,000 of it went to help start this new school in Haiti. And behind me, you can see they've started the foundation. They hope to have it open by September when school will begin. 33 kids that live in this part of the building, uh, part of the village here as orphans, but then over another 300 in the community, lower income Haitian children who are gonna be attending here. And I wanted to see what your sacrifice and your generosity is doing in Haiti. months ago this is a tent city and this is where the kids go to school now and that's why it's so important that we're involved in building this building just check this out Pastor Gaetan, he is the pastor of Trinity Baptist Church here in Haiti. Behind us is the school, and we have some very, very special friends who have something they'd like to say to you this morning. Thank you, Lord Church. Now, wasn't that worth the sacrifice this past Christmas? Incredible incredible what was going that was a tent city where people were living after the earthquake and the kids are still having school in the tent and one day hopefully in september they'll be in that building it's also going to serve as a church on the weekends again i want to thank you for your generosity we're in the fifth week of our series that we're calling you at work this week as i said i want to talk about how do we take our faith into the marketplace and i already know that for some of you this is that one area that really really bugs you about christians I mean, one of the things that just drives you crazy about Christians is why is it that Christians feel so compelled to go around telling everybody why they believe what they believe? In fact, some of you, maybe you're visiting, the only reason you're here this weekend is because you are so sick of hearing that person at work or in your neighborhood telling them, telling you about why they believe, you know, what they believe, and they keep inviting you to church, and so you finally came to church just to get them off your back, you know? Just leave, I'll go to church if you will just leave me alone. And if that's you this weekend, I just want to say I understand where you're coming from because I realize that as Christians, Sometimes we can be the most tactless, the most obnoxious people in the world. But while we're on the subject, let me go ahead and tell you why we feel so compelled to go around and tell everybody why we believe what we believe. And it's because we feel like we have discovered something incredible. Something that has just blown our minds, changed our lives, and we want everybody else to know about it. We want to know what's happened in our life. And if that offends you by the way we go about sharing that, I get that. But let's be honest, we've all done the same thing. You've done the same thing. Ladies, some of you, you've discovered some skincare product, you know, and it took that blemish off your face. And you started emailing and Facebooking every woman you know. You said, you've got to try this product. It will change your life, right? Or maybe you found a diet, and you, ladies, you were able to drop like three pounds in six months, and it's like the most incredible diet you've ever been on. So you want everybody to know about this incredible diet. And guys, you're just as bad. You know, if you play golf, you finally play this golf course, and it's just the most amazing golf. So you tell every guy, every stranger, every golfer, you know, you've got to play this golf course. This golf course will change your life. We do this, and it's because when we get excited about something, when we discover something, it's just natural to want to share it with other people. And in the same way, those of us who are Christians and followers of Jesus Christ, the reason we talk about why we believe what we believe is because, you see, we've made this incredible discovery. And, and this incredible discovery, it's not just a new way of thinking. 
It's not just another religious system. I mean, everybody, everybody's got a religious system. Whether you admit it or not, every one of us believe something. But we've discovered something that has actually impacted our lives. I mean, this has changed our lives. It's changed our families. It's changed how we handle our money, our finances. It's changed how we handle our time. It's changed the way we do friendships and relationships. And there's just something about this change that's taking place in our life. We just want to tell people. So this weekend, as we're in this series, and next week we'll wrap it up, but as, we come, as we're approaching the end of the series, this week I want to talk about how do we share our faith? How do we go about doing it in a way that's graceful and tactful at work, a way that you can do it without you know, getting fired? And again, if, if, if you're not a believer, I get it. If this bothers you, I totally understand. I will try to make it up to you somehow. You know, we'll give you a free cup of coffee or maybe I'll do your wedding free. And that's huge because I hate weddings. But we'll do something to try to make it up to you. But we're just excited, okay? We're just excited. So maybe this weekend you can just cut us a little slack, okay? Now, uh, by the way, there's another group that's going to be offended. And uh, it's gonna, you're going to be offended because you've been brought up to believe uh, the church is the place where you talk about God. And work is a place where you talk about work. Now, you're a Christian, and you pray, and you read the Bible, and you believe in God, you believe in Jesus, but you believe someone's faith, you believe it's personal, you believe it's private, and you believe, you were, you believe it ought to stay that way. And it's probably, probably the way you were raised. I just want you to know that's not in the Bible. So whoever taught you that, whoever raised you that way, well, they were mistaken, they were wrong, and I'm going to cut them some slack because I know what they were thinking. They were thinking everybody has their own religious system and everybody's religious system, that ought to be their own business. And this is what's interesting. That way of thinking is fine as long as you don't believe that everybody is going to spend eternity somewhere. That way of thinking is fine as long as you believe that we're all one way or another, we're all going to end up in heaven anyway. Now here's the problem. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that everybody's just going to end up in heaven. Christianity doesn't teach that. So building a barrier between our faith and our work life, this, this imaginary wall, not only is it not biblical, it just doesn't make any sense. And here's why. We have to understand that Christianity isn't a religious system. Christianity is a relationship. And because of what Jesus Christ did, I'm talking about his death, his burial, his resurrection, which we'll celebrate in a few weeks at Easter. Because of what Jesus Christ did, those of us who make the decision to accept what Jesus Christ did, we get to be reconciled back to God. We get to have a relationship with God. And this relationship that we now get to have with God is so intimate that we get to refer to him and call him daddy. In fact, look what Paul said in Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. That's a key word. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now let's think about this. When you're in a relationship with someone, you're in that relationship regardless of where you go. You can't say, you know, I'm in a relationship with God, and so I'll talk about God at church, and I'll talk about God at home. That's a safe zone. And I'll talk about God in my small group, but once I, once I go to work, it's like the cone of silence, you know, from Get Smart. I can't talk about God. I can't talk about my relationship with God at work. That's like telling your spouse, honey, at home, we're married. Honey, at home, I know we're in this relationship, but honey, I can't act married at work. Honey, how weird would it be if I talked about our marriage and our relationship at work? Honey, that's why if you ever come to visit me, 
Act like I'm not married to you. And there won't be any pictures on my desk. In fact, honey, when I get out of the car every day to go into the office, I take my ring off and lock it up in the car because I, don't, I just don't want to merge those two. By the way, some of you have tried that. We have a word for you. Divorced. Divorce. You know, one day your spouse said, hey, why don't you sleep in the car with your ring? Lock the doors. Be safe, right? And we laugh at that. But in the same way, if you're a Christian, you're in this relationship with God. You can't just leave it at home. You can't just leave it at church. You can't just leave it at your small group. Because you're in this relationship with God, you take this relationship with you wherever you go. When you go on vacation, you take it with you. When you go to work, you take it with you. When you go to a sporting event, you take it with you. Everywhere you go, you take God with you. But I think there's even more compelling reason why we should take our faith to work. And that's what I want to talk about over the next few minutes. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And if you were here for our, you know, the, the, uh, the, the great paradox series, uh, when we talked about the Beatitudes, you know that Matthew chapter 5, you remember, is where Jesus gave his very first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. So let's look there again as you're turning. Let me give you a little bit of context, a little bit of background. And we've got to go back a few centuries. And I want you to understand that when God established the nation of Israel, he established that nation so that they would be a reflection of, a na of the nature of God to all the rest of the world. This is why they were considered to be his chosen people. In other words, it was so that all of the nations surrounding the nations of Israel would look at the nation of Israel and say, wow, just by how they conducted themselves, by the way they behaved, by the way they carried themselves, people would look at them and say, wow, we want to know about your God. In fact, listen to what God said to the, uh, uh, the Jewish people in, in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. He says this. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles. Now, now keep that in mind. Remember that. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. That simply means that the nation of Israel was to be the delivery boy for the message of salvation to the rest of the world. In other words, in other words people were going to learn about God by just simply observing the nation of Israel. Now, unfortunately... After God spoke those words to the nation of Israel, unfortunately, they got off mission. Uh, unfortunately, they got off track. And by the time Jesus finally showed up in the first century, the last thing on the minds of the Jewish leaders was exporting their religion. In fact, by this time, they had taken a defensive posture. They were just trying to survive. They were just trying to keep temple worship alive. They were just trying to keep Judaism alive. I mean, by this time, they were a repressed people. They were living under Roman rule. They were just trying to keep it together, hold the fort down. And Jesus shows up in the first century in that culture, and he delivers the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, and he begins by reminding this Jewish audience, because it was a Jewish audience, he reminds them of what the prophet Isaiah had written in Isaiah 49, 16. This is what he said, Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. They knew this. They understood the words of Isaiah. Jesus said, remember, you are the light of the world. In other words, God puts you on this planet to be a light to this world. And it's because this is a world that's in darkness. There's spiritual darkness all around you. I mean, you're living in society. The world's wondering, is there really a God? Which God is really the real God, you know? They're trying to find out, can I really know God? Can I have a relationship with God? What about heaven? Hell, are they real places? What about sacrifice? All of these questions. And so Jesus begins by reminding these Jews, 
You were originally intended to be the light to the world. The plan was for the world to look at you, observe you, and understand what God was like. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus continues in verse 14. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now understand, when Jesus said that, they knew exactly what he meant. They knew because they had lived their whole lives this way. They knew what it was like to travel from city to city. And the one thing they knew about traveling from city to city, they knew you didn't want to be traveling at night. In other words, when you sat down with your family or your business partner and you planned your trip, you made sure that you were going to be in the next town by nightfall. You never spent the night on the side of the road. It was just too dangerous. So if you were traveling and the sun started to go down, you begin to look, you begin to look for the lights of the city. And they were pretty easy to spot because in those days, cities, they were built up on a hill. They were built there for defensive purposes. And so you began to look for the lights on the hill, and you could see the city, and you could tell your kids, we're almost there. We're going to be okay. We're going to be safe. And that's why Jesus said in verse 14 that a city on a hill at night can't be hidden. In fact, it's not even supposed to be hidden. A city on a hill at night is a beacon of hope to a weary traveler who's afraid to spend the night somewhere on the side of the road. Look what Jesus says, beginning in verse 14. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. In other words, Jesus says to these Hebrew, these Jewish people, live your life in such a way that people watch you and they observe you. They see your good deeds. They see your life. And their natural response is, I've been watching you. I've been observing you. There's something different about you. And once they notice that there's something different about the way you do your life, then it's your job to help them make the connection between how you live your life and the fact that you have a relationship with your Father in heaven. That's what makes the difference. That's what it means to be a light. Now understand, that was the purpose of the nation of Israel. It was so people could observe them and say, what a great nation of people. And their response would be, yeah, you ought to meet our God. That's who you ought to meet. But what happened was that the Jews, they refused to take up this responsibility. Jesus came to this earth and proclaimed to be the Messiah. They didn't believe that he was Messiah. They never understood the responsibility in terms of, of exporting what they had to the world. So what did they do? They crucified Jesus. They nailed him to a cross. They went on their merry little way. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. He gathered a small group of followers outside of Jerusalem. But right before he left this earth and ascended back to heaven, this is what he said. He says, from here on out, guys, here on out, that light thing, it's your job. You make sure you get the light out. It's now your responsibility. In fact, this is what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. You're going to be my light in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as you continue to read the rest of the New Testament, this is what we find. We find that the church rose to the occasion and they took the responsibility that was originally intended for Israel, and now the church of Jesus Christ, us, we are the light of the world. And so if the world is ever going to discover what God is like, if the world's ever going to figure out how to connect with him, if they're going to ever know that heaven and hell are real places, 
If they're ever going to figure out how to discover life and peace, if there's ever going to be hope in the world, the church is it. We are the light of the world. Now let me ask you a question. What kind of environment needs light? You ever thought about that? Dark environments need light. I remember a few years ago when Carl and I made our first trip to the Central African Republic. Uh, we were out in the middle of the rainforest somewhere and some village somewhere and Jim had put Carl and I in this little, little hut to spend the night and, you know, and he, uh, he came in and we had these mosquito nets around us and he tucked them in really, really hard and he kept pushing them up under my sleeping bag and I thought, these must be tough mosquitoes. He says, it's not for the mosquitoes, it's to keep the snakes out of your bed. And I said, well, Jim, explain that to me. And he said, well, they like to get warm at night. So watch your, if you get up in the middle of the night, make sure you check your boots before you put your boots on. And if you go outside, make sure you have a light because these green mambas and these black mambas, which they call a two-step snake in Africa, they bite you, two steps, you're dead. Okay? He says they like to come out where the sun's been on the dirt all day and rest. So if you go out at night to go to the bathroom, take a light. I'm thinking, I will wet myself <laughs> before I get out of this bed tonight, you know? The reality is there's dangers when it's dark. So what kind of places need light? Dark environments need light. So here's the question I want you to think about. Where are the dark places of your life? You ever thought about that? Where are the dark places of your life where you need to, your life where you need to carry the light? Let me help you eliminate a few. Church isn't one of them. You know, we don't need the light here. We're well lit up. Some of you are more lit up than others, but we're fine. You know, we, we don't need light here. I mean, people who don't even believe in God behave when they come to church. I've been speaking for about 15 minutes now. I haven't seen one person shoot up. Not one. I haven't seen one person uh, flip up their flask. That, means, that doesn't mean you haven't done it. I mean, you're, some of you are sneaky. But we haven't seen that. I mean, people behave when they go to church. So, you know, you don't really need the light in many of your homes. I mean, God is there. Christ's presence is there. You don't need it in your small group. In fact... You don't even really need it on campuses anymore. I mean, you want to think about light. You go to NC State, you go to Carolina, you go to Duke. Campus Crusade is there. Navigators is there. InterVarsity is there. Athletes in Action is there. There's a light on the campus. You need a light where it's dark. In fact, let me give you an example. This is one of my favorite lighters. You notice that. It's light in here. That doesn't really make any difference whatsoever. But if it's dark, oh, all of a sudden, it makes a little bit of difference. Now, let me tell you something. Probably the darkest place you go every week, the darkest environment that you dwell in is your work. That's where the light needs to be. I mean, you go to work. People are talking about stuff at work they're not talking about at church. People are doing stuff at work they're not doing at church. People are expecting stuff at work they're not expecting at church. And so you got to understand, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when you show up at work, you are the light. You're the light of the fourth floor. You're the light of your office. You're the light of your warehouse, your industry. You're the light of your business, the campus where you teach. You're the light of your board. You're it. I mean, you go to work, it's a dark environment. There's confusion about God. People aren't running to God, they're running from God. And Jesus wants us to understand in that dark environment, we are, to we are the light of the world. And we're to live our life in such a way that people see our good works, they see our good deeds, and they discover that it's because we have a relationship with our Father in heaven. 
You see, this is where we get confused sometimes. It's not enough just to be a good person. A lot of people think, I'm just going to be a good... It's not enough just to be a good person. Somewhere along the way, we have to do something that helps people make the connection. We have to figure out a way to point them away from us and point them to God. So how do we do that? Because whether or not you want to be, you're light. Now, it is possible that like the nation of Israel, you maybe you've lost your passion, you know. I mean, you're just trying to survive out there in the marketplace. You're just trying to survive among those pagans. And when I mention about inviting people to church on Easter, you're like, Mike, the last place that I want to bring these pagans is the church. They'll ruin the church if I bring them. They'll show up, you know. So you pray every night, God, keep me away from those heathen. Keep me away from those pagans. In fact, you go Old Testament, God, curse them. With Amorites, that's, that's hemorrhoids. I don't know why God did that in the Old Testament. God thought it was funny. That's what he did. And maybe, that, God, just bring down the Amorites on him. You know what I'm saying, right? In other words, you've fallen into the trap that a lot of people fall into. That we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. And it, during the week, we have to go out there and we have to put up with the bad guys because we have to make a living. But then on the weekend, we retreat back in here with the good guys, you know? And we love that verse. Come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. I mean, that's the one verse. Keep them out there. Keep us in here. It's safe in here. And I think God hears that and thinks, where in the world did you ever come up with that idea? Are you kidding me? You're a city on a hill. You're a lamp in a dark room. And your job is to somehow help people understand why you are the way you are, and you help them make the connection that it goes back to your Father who's in heaven that you have this incredible relationship with. I want to give you some suggestions of some things that you can do so that you can become a light in the, in the, worship, in the workplace. In other words, you can get to the place where you earn the right to be heard and your work can actually become your worship. Let me just give you some words. Here's the first one. You may want to jot these down. The first one is character. Character. Or maybe you like the word integrity. But go to work and, 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 and live your life in such a way that people begin to ask you questions. Questions like, hey, I noticed a bunch of us, we get together every Friday night after work and we go to this place. I've noticed you never go with us. Why is that? Why is it? Or, or hey, the other day, why wouldn't you sign that deal? Or, I noticed the boss asked us to do this, and you know, I know we don't really like it, but he's asked us to do it before, but I noticed you, you wouldn't do it. Why, why did you say no to the boss? But live your life in such a way that people ask why. And then when they ask why, you have an opportunity to associate your character with your relationship to your Father who is in heaven. Well, it's because I have a relationship with God that was made possible by Jesus Christ. It is that simple. You see, when someone says, why, why are you the way you are, you, you don't have to say, because I'm a Christian and you're not. That, would, that, would be not, that wouldn't be the right response. See, we don't want to communicate that we believe something. We want to communicate that we're in a relationship with somebody. So character, integrity, you want to live your life in such a way that people ask, hey, what's up with your life? Here's the second word, information. It's just the sharing of information. Maybe it's a blog, maybe it's an article, maybe... Maybe it's a sermon. I know a few months ago I did a series we called Break Free, and it was on how to find forgiveness and break the bondage of being tied to your past. I've had so many people say, I've referred those messages to people, and they've commented a difference it's made in their life, you know. Maybe it's a book, and you don't give them the book and say, you know what, you need to read this. 
No, not like that. Maybe more the approach would be, hey, you know, when I was going through what you're going through, when I was struggling with what you're struggling with, this, this really, really kind of helped me. It's just information. It's just a way of saying, this is how I am, and this is why I'm this way. Here's the third word, invitation. Just find some common ground with the people that you work with and invite them to something. For example, if you work with a young couple and they have children and you have children, and something comes up about the children, how easy is it to say, man, we got this greatest thing at our church. It's called Kid City Live. It's the first Friday night of every month. And it's, I mean, it's like Sesame Street on steroids. And it's just that you're going to laugh. It's for adults and kids. And hey, we could, we could meet at about 530 and grab some pizza and take the kids. They would absolutely love it. It could be something as simple as that. It could be, you know, yeah, you know I go to church. You ought to go with me on Easter. Easter's coming up, March 31st, 15 services spread out over three campuses. Survey says 70% of the people that are your friends will go to work church with you on Easter if you just simply invited them. The Friday night service is at 6 o'clock here at the Raleigh campus. That doesn't even seem like church. You can kind of trick them. Hey, let's stop by the church and I'll take you out to dinner. You know, you, girls, you might get a date this way. Like, yeah, I'll go out with you, but you got to come to church with me. Use your heads, people. But anyway, Easter, that's a great opportunity. This is coming up on May the 10th, the Chick-fil-A Leadership Simulcast. It's going to be aired right here. Locations all over the world, but it's going to be right here. Coach K is going to be speaking. John Maxwell is going to be speaking. Andy Stanley, Condoleezza Rice. This is something that you could invite people that you work with and says, this would improve our leadership. Tickets are available at our website. Coming up August the 8th and 9th, the Leadership Summit from Willow Creek. Uh, Bill Hybels, Colin Powell, Patrick Lencioni, Henry Cloud, just a few of the speakers that are going to be speaking. And you're going to say, hey, would you like to take a couple of days and go to this conference with me? It's incredible. I can get a great deal through our church, and we can learn a lot because a lot of this will apply back to the workplace. There's a big women's event coming up on September the 7th. It's, it's kind of a women's, uh, I'll call it the Women's Summit. It's, it's called uh, Perfectly Imperfect. Now, men, we hear that, and we don't have a clue what that means. But see, women get that. They get that kind of stuff. So you get to come and figure out how to be perfectly imperfect. And I'll guarantee you this, ladies, if you show up and bring somebody, there'll be some bonding, and there'll be some crying. There'll be some bonding and some crying going on. Because whenever women get together, they bond and they cry. In fact, we just had an event just for the women on staff. And it was during lunch. And after lunch, I said, how was it? They said, oh, it was wonderful. Everybody was crying. I'm like, okay, I'll go to a game. That's what I'm thinking as a man. But you ladies, this would be something you can invite your friends to. How about the lunch and learn? We had one past week, sold out, but we have another one coming up April 2nd. It's so easy to say, I'm going to this lunch thing. This business person is speaking. Next time we have people who do leadership development for Chick-fil-A, they're going to be here on April 2nd. 45 people can come, that's all. Maybe you could show up for that. But ask yourself, what could I invite someone to that specifically addresses what's going on in their life, where they are in life, what they're dealing with? You see, again, it helps explain this is why I am the way I am, okay? Here's the fourth one, on-site gatherings. And, and a lot of people are starting to do this at work. And they don't have to be with people from Hope. In fact, I just got this email last night. It says, someone mentioned that I should let you know how the God at Work sermon series is having a direct impact where I work, Capital Broadcasting Company. 
After your first message in the series, another Hope member, and he gives me his name, contacted me about getting other Christ followers at CBC together for support, encouragement, and prayer. We got the word out among coworkers to see who might be interested in meeting once a month. I was shocked at the response by a boatload of believers at WRAL-TV, Mix 101, Fox 50, 99.9 The Fan, and other divisions of our company. This past Wednesday morning, we met for the first time at the Farmer's Market restaurant. It was awesome. The topic on the table was, how does being a follower of Jesus impact your work? What great discussion. Since the meeting, we've had even more folks asked to be included next month. We've decided to rotate our meetings between breakfast and lunch each month so more people can get involved. Um, we're even given this monthly shiny, uh, a shindig a name. They're calling it First Wednesday, and they, they even invited me. But this is what I'm talking about, you know? It could be as simple as going to your boss and saying, I know no one's using the conference room at 7 o'clock in the morning. Some of us want to use it. We want to, have a, we want to connect in community together. We want to support one another. We want to pray together. Do you mind if we use the conference room? Or do you know it's SAS, for example, because I've been over there and had lunch with some of the people. We have over 60 people who work at SAS from Hope Community Church. What if they had their own lunch and learn? What if they reserved one of those little uh, cool little dining rooms they had and everybody, they could invite whoever they wanted to and you could get lunch and go into the room and we could bring the speaker right to SAS. But these on-site gatherings. Now this is what I want to close with. When you go to work on Monday, this is what you got to understand. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, you are a light. Now maybe, maybe you're like an undercover Christian, Okay. You've been keeping your light under a bowl. You've been keeping your light under a bucket. And every once in a while, it pops out, you know. You say something by accident. Maybe you're in a heated discussion, and under your breath, you said, what would Jesus do? And somebody said, what would you say? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I thought I heard you say Jesus. No, I said cheeses. I'm going to go get me a three-cheese omelet for lunch. That's why I was thinking about cheeses. What kind of cheeses did I want? You know, you just don't want to talk about your faith. But you are the light. So here's the big question. Forget what you've done in the past. What could you do from this point on? What little thing could you tweak so that you could begin to actually function as the light so that people could see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven? I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine what could happen in the triangle if we took this idea of being the light seriously? Can you imagine what could happen in our community if we got aggressive and created about being the light? I mean, forget what happens at church. Imagine what could happen in those dark places where we work. Imagine the marriages that could be saved or maybe restored, families that could be put back together, people that could find healing and put the past in the past and finally be able to move forward because you decided that you were going to be the light on the hill. You were going to be the light in the dark room regardless of what anybody else thought. All you got to do is live your life in such a way that they ask why. And you get to connect it back to the fact that you have a relationship with the Father. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the marketplace. And Jesus says, just let it shine. Leave everything else up to me. You just shine. Let's pray together. Father, I don't know how we got so messed up to think that the inside the church building, the school building, wherever churches meet, that this is where the business takes place. 
This isn't where the business takes place. This is where we celebrate what you're doing in our lives. This is where maybe we learn a little bit more about you and how to incorporate your principles in our life. But the real ministry takes place outside these walls. It takes place in our neighborhoods, on our sports teams, at the gym where we work out. And Father, one of the darkest places in our lives where we work. And help us to understand that we are the light of the world. And without the light, there is no hope. Father, right now I pray that you would begin to work in our minds and heart as we begin to ask ourselves this question. What could I do without being offensive, without being obnoxious? What could I do to be the light in this dark world? And Father, I believe when we seek that with all of our heart, you will show us the way to make a difference. In your name we pray. Amen.